the privilege to uh, introduce you to uh, my friend, my boss, actually. He is the lead pastor of IFGF Bandung, and he is the president of IFGF Global Church. Please help me welcome Pastor Sam Hartanto. Thank you so much, Pastor Victor, and all the leadership here. How are you today? All good? All good? Pastor Victor, you're very funny. You're a very funny person. And I really encourage you to keep continuing on doing that. Amen. Um, when Pastor Don asked me uh, to be here today, a few months ago he asked me to be here. Um, I asked him, well, well, while I'm preaching, what are you going to do? And he was like, well, I'm going to sit there and listen to you. And I was like, that's not fair. Uh, when, when did we switch pulpit? You, you fly to Bandu, and I'll be flying here. So today, today, he's preaching twice in IFJF Bandu. Uh, they had fun. And he, he was there earlier, uh, starting, um, what, since Friday, practicing his golf driving skill. And he had fun. And I'm practicing my uh, babi guling and sambal mata. So life is fair. <laughs> life is good. Life is awesome. Awesome. So I'm, I'm here with my, uh, I'm going to do anointing for my wife. Uh, yeah, my wife is here. We've been married for 22 years. Can you please stand up now? She, uh, she hates it every time. Every time I, I, I do that, she, she hates it. But uh, yeah, that's, that's my wife. And this is my, my family. My family, I'm going to introduce you to my uh, family, uh, beside me, that's my uh, firstborn. She's now 21, almost 22. She, she's now working in Seattle, Washington. And uh, my second one, the, the tallest one in the family, that's Nathan. Uh, no, my, my, my daughter, she's D, Destiny. Um, my son, he's Nathan. He's here too. Um, he, and he told me specifically not to make him stand. So, okay, Nate, Nate you're safe today. Nathan, he's taking electrical engineering in University of Washington in, in Seattle. And now that, that's my, our third one is Ben, he's 14, and he's going to be a Jedi. Okay? So, so that's, that, that's, that's my family. It's good to be here. I see uh, Bali is already busy with tourists, and uh, we're, we're welcome to endemic. I mean, uh, this is, this is going to be the new normal from now on. The world is open. I just flew back from Tel Aviv and Turkey. Nobody wears masks anymore, even in the planes. Uh, uh, the world is rolling pretty fast, and I hope we have the wisdom from the Lord to, to continue on to navigate our lives in the future. Let us open Second Samuel chapter 5. Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 6. This is after the story is after David became king in Hebron, one of the cities out of Israel. Uh, he decided to attack another city in Judah. It's called Jerusalem. Second Samuel 5, verse 6. He feels that he needs to be there because Jerusalem is in the center of the kingdom between Dan and Beersheba. There's Jerusalem. It's in the middle. If he wants to unite the kingdom, he needs to be there. That might be one of the reasons why he attacked Jerusalem. Verse 6, the king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. 
they thought. David cannot get in here because the, the walls are thick and the city has strong fortifications. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. On that day, David has said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites, let's see, anyone who conquered the, the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. So the commentary said that they, they acted like lame and blind people over the wall just to mock David and his men. That's why David hated these lame and blind people. It's not literally like David hate lame and blind people because they were acting like one. So, okay. Um, David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. Even today, you can visit this, the ruins, the, uh, the excavation of the city of David in the heart of Jerusalem. He built up the area around it from the terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. I'm going to talk today about, about value added, value added. Uh, God wants to add value in our life, in, our, in every season of our life. So I was in a supermarket a few days, a uh, few, few weeks back, and I, I, was, I was looking at this uh, baskets of apples, these supermarkets selling apples. This one is about, what, $2 per pound maybe, uh, $3 per pound. And this basket has apple for $10 per pound, let's say. That's the price. So the price is pretty high compared to another basket on my right. So, but there was no label on it. So I was, I was asking the guy uh, in the store, I was like, how come this is much more expensive than the other one? Ah, we forgot to put the label. This one is organic. So when they put the label organic, the price and the value becomes higher than the other basket. So I believe God wants to put value in our lives. He wants us to have some added value. And we need to know that he wants us to be better than yesterday. David felt that he needed to to conquer Jerusalem. He needed that city to be his capital. Joshua didn't think that way. Joshua, when he and the Israelites went to the promised land, they just took another way. They conquered uh, Jericho and then I, and then they turned to the left, and then they turned up north. They just ignored Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not in the priority list of Joshua's conquest over the promised land. And when the Babylonians and then the, 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 the Syrians, the Persians, they, they took the Israelites away from the promised land, the land was kept barren for 70 years. Nobody even wanted to plant anything. It was desolated for 70 years. Even 400 years before Christ, when Alexander the Great, he passed through Jerusalem, he was saying this city is redundant of no importance. Everybody is doing trading through the sea or through the Jordan Valley. Nobody wants to do trading when they need to climb 600 meters up to a mountain. So this city is meaningless. Let's just destroy the, the whole city. Move, the, move everyone out of the city and then destroy it. And the, the, the leaders of Jerusalem at that time have to back him and bribe him. And then uh, he kept Jerusalem up. And Julius Caesar, 40 years before Christ, he was, he was there, uh, saw, the, saw the city, and one historian says that he, 
he, he, he claimed, he, he told everyone around him that it's just a rubble filled with peasants. It has no particular meaning for, for my conquest. Even Herod, Herod he built Jerusalem, Herod the Great built Jerusalem with temples and with roads, with, uh, with, with, with great system for religious duties and religious activities. But he didn't even want to live there. Uh, Herod lived in Caesarea. He had his villa in Masada. So Jerusalem was no important for these people. Same with us sometimes when people look at us and when people see us go to the house of the Lord every Sunday or when we take care of our family or where we're being loyal to our and faithful to our wives and we serve God and we we read our Bible sometimes people say why do you need to do that it's not important it has it has little value but some people they they don't know why we do things but we know that when we do that we get closer to God we add value to our lives, and the Lord will bless us. The world trying to pull us out from his value, but I believe that we are a people that need to see that there must be something bigger in life. We need to see things with his eyes. We need to see things with his perspective. A lot of people might not be able to see what we see, but I believe that the Lord this morning will give us fresh vision over our lives because in the future we need his wisdom to really continue on. My, my daughter, she, when she graduated uh, last year, she got accepted in this company and um, she, she, was, she was okay. Two weeks after graduation, she, she was in this company. And, um, uh, but but she, she didn't like it very much. She, she, she felt that um, she, she can do more. So she went to this um, recruitment job, job fair uh, in, this, in this huge room with thousands of people. There's this recruiter speaking and talking about um, recruitment and all. And a lot, of, a lot of companies just setting up booths so people can apply for jobs. So she was there. And then this guy, he, he was helping her with her resume and the CV. Uh, and then my daughter asked him, why, why you help me? And then this guy said, um, because I, I was in this Indonesian church few backs, few backs ago, few weeks back, few weeks ago, and then I, I saw you worship leading. So I know you. Uh, you. You were there, and now I'm helping you. So this guy is helping her with the resume because she saw her serving in the church. So she got her resume corrected, and then she uh, applied, and, and then one company, her dream company, uh, called her for interview. Hey, uh, we we really interested by looking at your resume. We're really interested in you, and we want to have an interview. Three three interviews before we decide whether to have you or not on board. So they they they, they have this interview. She she was pretty scared, and then the first interview went well, and then the next week this is the second interview. In the second interview, um, they were asking her, what, what are you doing for to for volunteering?" So she was like, "Oh, I'm the marketing." department for the church and we're doing conference for youth all over the u.s for online ticket e-brochure e and everything i'm doing that voluntarily in the church so oh that's that that's great that's great um come next week for the, our third interview before before the next week the next day they called her and said hey you know what you're hired 
because what you've been doing for the church is exactly the thing that we need for our company. So she was hired. Then she, she, she called me and she was like, Dad, Dad, Pa, Pa, church really works, you know. Huh? Oh, really? Really? I never know that. Wow. You know, you know that uh, when, when you serve the Lord, he, he, he really takes care of you. I was like, wow, I've been pastoring for 20 years. I've never heard something like that. Whoa. Okay, no. He, he, she, she experienced it herself. And I think the same thing. We cannot compare ourselves with everyone else. We cannot expect. We cannot compare our own experience with everyone else around us. And it is impossible to walk your Christian life with borrowed lenses. You cannot borrow anyone's lenses. You cannot borrow anyone's glasses. You need to have your own conviction. You need to have your own experience with God. So what did, what did David see with Jerusalem? In Jerusalem, what did David see? Joshua didn't see it. Uh, Herod didn't see it. Alexander the Great, he, he didn't see it. He ignored it. Julius Caesar, he didn't see it. But what, what did David see? Some of the Israelites, they, they were part of this thing called oral society. Where from generation to generation, they tell stories. When, when they tell stories, they share values. That shapes their culture. So they've been telling stories from generation to generation about, about, the, about their ancestors, about the patriarchs, about how, the, how they conquered the land, about how God gave them the promise through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and everything. They, they know how to write and to, to read, but oral tradition is very important in that society until today. So must be... David not only understand, he knew very well that a long time ago, there was this guy, Abraham, when he conquered kings, when he pursued them up to Damascus, he felt needed to go to Salem. That was the previous name of Jerusalem. He felt needed to go to Salem to meet this guy, Melchizedek, and gave 10% of whatever plunder that he got. So, huh, it, this is the same place. And he must have heard the story of Abraham bringing Isaac, his son, to this hill called Moriah. Uh, God told him to sacrifice Isaac. And then after that, God replaced Isaac with a ram. Oh, that's, this place must be very important. This place must have values in the heart of God. And, and that's why David, when he defeated Goliath in the valley of Elah, the Bible clearly said that David cut the head of Goliath, and then he took the head. He walked 35 kilometers, uh, 20-something miles, seven hours. Can you imagine this teenager bringing the, the head of the giant, walking seven hours, dripping, dripping, dripping. And then he was, he was like going outside of Jerusalem, and then he put the head of Goliath outside of the city, in front of the Jebusite. Maybe he's claiming that today it's this head, the next day it will be you. Maybe he, maybe he was saying that. Why, why is Jerusalem so important for David? Why? What did David see? What did David see? And I think one thing that we can learn from this story, come to my point number one, is honor the history. Honor what God has done in your life. Honor all the challenges that you have ever faced. Honor 
all the teachings, honor all the verses, honor all the values that God has put in your life. And I think, I think you are not here because of coincidence. All things work together for those who know God and has been called according to the purposes. Honor the history. David learned that this place is important, not only for the Israelites, this place is important for God. That's why I need to be here. I need to be here not because it's fancy. I need to be here because it's important to be here. I need to be here. I need to conquer the city because it's valuable for God. It's, it's not a coincidence whatever happened to Abraham, whatever happened to whatever happened to after the battle with Goliath, this place is important. I know that many of you came from different backgrounds, but I want you to honor their history over the generations. You're not here because of your might, not because of your strength, but I believe God has certain plan over our lives. We need to honor the history. We need to honor what God has done in our life. When we were in, in Seattle back in November, I took this uh, DNA test with Ancestry.com. How many of you ever done the genealogy test? None. Okay, let me tell you my story. So I took this DNA test where they took, uh, I took sample um, of my DNA and then uh, mail it. And after waiting for three weeks, I, I got the result. So this is my result because I want to know where I'm from, right? We, we all want to know where about our ancestors, and this is accurate for the last 1,000 years. That, that's what they're saying. So this, this, my, this is my DNA test result. So it turned out, it turned out that I'm 75% Chinese. I'm pretty shocked. Like, I'm 75% I'm Chinese, okay. Uh, my mom was shocked, okay. So, <laughs> and turned out I'm 12% Southeast Asian, Malayu, Malayu, Java, Javanese, Malayu. That's why I love Hainan chicken rice. That's why I love gudeg. That's why I know now. 75% um, Chinese, 12% Malayu, Java, and I'm 9% Vietnamese. And my, my wife has 4% of Vietnamese blood also. That's why when, 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 I was, when I'm driving, whenever I see a fur restaurant, my wife's like, go, turn right, turn right. It's like, oh, I know now. I know it's in the DNA, 9% Vietnamese. Um, and then turn out that I'm 4% Dai. Dai is now, um, they're, they're everywhere in Thailand, Myanmar, and Cambodia. So I'm 4% Thai. So a few weeks back when I met Thai, Thai people talking in the airport, they were talking and I was like, hey, are you Thai? I'm Thai too. I said, I'm Thai, I'm Thai too. I'm 4%, right? 4%, 4 I'm, I'm, I'm Thai. I'm Vietnamese, I'm, I'm mixed up. Everything, everything's here. So, but while, while I'm looking that, um, I, I start asking myself, why, why, uh, why I was born in, in Jakarta? Why, why? I could have born there, or there, or there. Why God put me here? There must be a purpose. Thousands years of journeys and travelings, thousands of years, and I'm I'm here now. So I'm one of looking at the maps and all the population represented in that DNA sample alone. I'm one one over 
2.2 billion people represented in, in that map from China to Indonesia, Southeast Asia. 2.2 billion people. And out of those people, 2.2 billion people, only 3.7% believe in Jesus. A small portion. And out of that 2.2 billion people, the, the, the people who can serve and, no, the people who can do Sunday service like this freely, freely to worship God is only 1.1% of the population. In many areas, in most areas, you, you cannot worship freely just like what we're doing now. So I'm one of the 1.1% who can worship freely. And out of those who, who's part of the local church and who serve in a local church, out of that number of people, 2.2 billion people, it's only 0.023% who's serving in the local church. And how many becomes pastor or become part of the clergy? It's 0.001%. So judging by the statistic alone, it is almost no chance that Sammy can serve God. For, for many of you, there's no chance. Judging by your ancestry, by judging, from, judging from where you're from, it's almost impossible that you're here worshiping together this morning, lifting up your hand and sing to the Lord. You're here because God has the purpose over your life. We are here because God wants us to really part of becoming part of his story, not only becoming part of history. So, all of us here, we are all handpicked by God to do greater things. Because many of us, if it's not because of the Lord, you are not here. So in our lives, when, when, when we see our, our life, when we see our background, when we see where we're from, I think it is all preparations for things to come. I think God wants to direct our path for a purpose. Everything, even pandemic, is a preparation for tomorrow. And from that preparation, God is teaching us about the pattern and the principles from him. David understood that his great-great-grandmother, Ruth, was not from Israel. She was from Moab. But God brought Ruth, and then his, she married Boaz, and then the descendants, David. He was like saying, I'm not, I didn't have a good I didn't have a, a, a good lineage, if, if that the people on that day might, might say that. I don't have a good lineage, but here I am. I'm the king over Judea, and now I'm the king of Israel. Hey, it's a preparation for me, so I need, now I need to do the patterns and the principles from God. And when you do that, you're prepared, and you know, and you do the pattern and the principles from the Lord, then trust the placement from God over your life. I believe you are now in Bali. It's not a coincidence. God must have a purpose over each and every one of us. So David, he, he conquered Jerusalem. And then the Bible clearly says that he built this tower called Milo. You can see the ruins until today. You can see Milo. And then he built this palace. He built this city. 
called Zion. He improved everything. And then after that, um, he, he built the house of the Lord, a small one. The bigger one will be built by Solomon. So he built this and that. He improved everything. He improved the wall. He enlarged the city. And now, it's not only he honored the history. Now he continued the legacy. He continued on to make things better. So David makes Jerusalem better. I believe our story, the future will be brighter than our past. Whatever happened in the past, whatever good or bad things, the future is bright. Everybody say your left and your right. The future is bright. It's not only being alive, it's not only breathing and living, but we need to make our lives better than yesterday. David conquered Jerusalem, but after that, Jerusalem got better because of David. Your family will be better in the future because of you. Your workplace will be better because you're there. Because you're applying the pattern and the principle from God. This city will be better because you're here. Everyone around you will be better because you're there. Wherever you go, you will make things better. Not by power, not by might, but by his spirit. I honor my history. I'm continuing the, the legacy. God is not finished with me. The future, the future will be better than my past. I will make things better. Consider yourself as a, as a bank or as a container, as a... As, as something that God wants to invest. If God invests something in your life, He wants a good return, return over our life. He wants us to make things better. And I believe that when, when we agree with that, Lord, wherever I am, whatever I do, everything that I touch will be better because of you, but first, he needs to change you. First, he needs to make some reparations. He needs to make some additions in our lives. So in order to make things better, be ready, be ready to be changed by God. A lot of people are rushing out from COVID. It's endemic, everything's up, business is up and running everyone's busy but my suggestion for you church never run too quickly this is the time right at the end of the pandemic this is the time for us to reflect and pray and discern we need the wisdom from God for the future season because the world's gonna run very fast after this and a lot, a lot of people, a lot of Christians got to just run with the world. Just run here and there. I'm going to take back whatever loss that I experienced for the last two years. But this is the time when you hear, you say, Lord, what? Please speak to me. I need to discern. I need to know. I need your wisdom, God. Before I build before I conquer this and that, let me build my life. Let me build my home. 
Let me build my faith. Let us, let us build again, rebuild. He wants to change you. He wants to fill you. He wants to anoint you. He wants to complete you. He wants to make whatever desolate place to be fruitful again. I'm going to read to you the portion from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia written by C.S. Lewis, the Christian author. Whatever that you read in the Chronicles of Narnia is actually, uh, is actually inspired from his experience with God. And whenever you see that, you read about that lion Aslan is always representing, uh, symbolizing Christ and what he does on the cross and all the fulfillment of the promises of God. And this is, I believe, in the fourth book of the Chronicles of Narnia, the silver chair. And I'm going to read it to you. This is the conversation between the lion, the personification of Jesus in, in Narnia, and this kid named, named Jill. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. A lot of us, we want, we want the healing, we want the blessing, but we don't want you. We, we want to have the blessing, but we do not want to be changed. I need that drink, I'm thirsty, but just, just go away. That's what she's saying. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. He doesn't want to move. He's always there. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. She's so thirsty, right? Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? Lord, I, I want it, but don't change me. I want the result, but I do not want your presence. That's sometimes us. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise. I don't need to answer to you. God is God. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill, Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. And then she asked this funny question. Do you eat girls, she said. He's sovereign. He's God. He's like, he can do what he, he wants to. He wants to cover us with his love, actually. That's why the, the lion answered, I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. He can do anything he wants. He's the king. He's God. He wants to change you. He doesn't want to leave you just like that. He wants to devour you with his love, with his grace, with his mercy. I didn't say, it didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. Let God be God. He's been God for a very long time. Let him, let him be God. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst. 
said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill. Come another step nearer. I suppose I must go uh, and look for another stream then. And then the lion answered her. And this is his answer to us. When you're looking at any other direction, any other result, there is no other stream, said the lion. Tell your left and your right, there is no other stream but Jesus. Let us all stand. He wants us to take whatever valuable in our lives. Not only he wants to give you valuable things in this life, he wants us to add values in whatever is given. But well, while, while he's doing it, that through us, he wants to change us all. So we will be never be the same. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we, we...